Well, hey guys, these uh, baptisms are the perfect example of why me and you need this sermon. Uh, it was no mistake in, uh, in God's providence that we are preaching this text, because, you know, we don't just pick what text we want to preach. We pick the text that comes right after the next text. And so you will see the uh, continuity of God and what He is uh, compelling, imploring, and commanding our church to do uh, in light of uh, the gospel and in light of the baptisms that you saw take place uh, this morning. Uh, and that is this, that there's a great need for revival in the city of New Braunfels, right? There's a great need for people to come to know Christ here in the city. Uh, and it is our responsibility, our prerogative uh, as Christians to be uh, the motor in which the gospel is propagated in this city. That's why we're here. Uh, and our desire is that people would humble themselves before a holy God, that they would accept culpability for their sin. I mean, that is the necessary part that you heard over and over and over again here was that we have to uh, accept that I am a sinner and I am separated from God. I am culpable for my sin, for my problems. As I've bro broken God's law, I'm responsible for those things. Uh, and that we should turn from our sin and trust in the atoning death and the victorious resurrection of Christ. And I, and I always want to make sure you understand the two, okay? Uh, so many people say, yes, I trust in Christ's death for me. But it's like, yes, but you realize the power in it is that Christ was resurrected, right? I can trust in this, and I know it's powerful, I know it's working, not because Christ died for my sins, but because he rose in spite of the sin. And so for you and for me, that is why we accept culpability for our sin. We turn from our sin and we trust in Christ because Christ took that sin and conquered all the very things that you and I are incapable of doing, and that is sin and death. And he did those very things for you and I now to be able to be called new creations. And that's why when Paul jumps into Colossians 4, and I want you to briefly jump to Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verses 3 through 4. What we need to understand as Christians, it is, it is our privilege and responsibility to diligently pray for opportunities to share the gospel and follow through boldly to proclaim the biblical gospel. Did y'all hear that? Right? We need to be praying for gospel opportunities and we need to be walking forth in full faith in obedience to the word of God that says then we go proclaim the very gospel that we've been praying for opportunities to share. That is, that is our job and that is our goal uh, because it's we don't do that, and that is often the problem in many churches and many families and many people who call themselves Christians is that we don't pray for opportunities and we don't capitalize on the opportunities that God gives us. And the problem with that is if we aren't praying for gospel opportunities, we're not going to be ready when they arrive, right? And if we're not prepared for gospel conversations, we won't win souls to the Lord. And so that's why it is our hope and our goal and our expectation as we exposit God's Word that we are both praying for them and preparing for them. And you should even write that in your notes. You need to be praying for gospel opportunities and you need to be preparing for gospel opportunities. I've only got a few minutes, but to, to really to jump in here, uh, the Apostle Paul is wrapping up his letter. This is the beginning of him wrapping up his letter uh, to the Colossian church in verse 4. Uh, it says final instructions, depending on what, uh, what version you use as the, the pericope or the, the few verses that it goes into in the first few verses of chapter 4. Uh, and in that, he sees a great need to remind us of our prayer life, which we talked about last week. 
But we can't leave out what Paul didn't leave out. And I know we didn't talk about it last week, but now we're talking about it this week. And that is the importance of in all of those prayers that we're also being evangelistic in those prayers. And that's why Paul wraps up this, uh, begins to wrap up his letter in Colossians with a great reminder to stay gospel focused. And that's the title of this sermon is that we are staying gospel focused. Pastor Evan read it to you, did a fine job. Uh, But I want you to look with me at verse 3. At verse 3, the first part of it, it says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. I love this because the Apostle Paul, the, uh, the Apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, no one has better credentials than the Apostle Paul, even when it comes to his Judaistic past uh, in his uh, Christian reality that he lives in after he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and he turned from his own sins and he trusted in Christ. And then he went and God, Christ had given him uh, the responsibility to take this gospel that was never uh, in a Gentile uh, a crowd or never into a Gentile region of the world is now he's given Paul the responsibility to take the gospel to places it's never been, and that is to the Gentiles, which if you're not Jewish in here, that's you and me. So praise and glory be to God that he had sent Christ to Paul to go preach the gospel to people like us. And so here we are, and Paul's saying, okay, I need your help, church. And he doesn't just say this to the Colossian church. He says pretty much the same thing to the Ephesian churches and all the churches that he gets the opportunity to write to and correspond with, that they would, at the same time they're praying for all those other things. If you were here this last week, you remember those things were you need to be devoted to prayer and you need to, in your prayers, be watchful and do all those prayers with thanksgiving. Okay. Now, you thought you were done, but you're not. I need you to add another layer into your prayer life, and that is this, that you would be praying for open doors for the Word of God. That in your prayers, always, as you constantly pray, you need to be praying for opportunities for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to be going out. And that's why Paul says at the same time, and I can help you, grammatically speaking, I want you to see here that that's exactly what Paul intended. See, when he says, pray also for us, that's the verb, pray. It's a participle verb, right? Remember, the, uh, we, we understood last week, right, that the command, the imperative was be devoted to prayer. And you had those two participles, watchful and thanksgiving. You now have the third participle that points you back to devoted, and it is pray also for us. And so it's those three things that are connected back to the main imperative of what Paul's saying is you need to be devoted. And just like you need to be devoted to being watchful and thankful in prayer, you also need to be devoted in praying for gospel opportunities. And for us, it's important for us to know, especially in light of what we've seen in these baptism tanks uh, this morning, is that we need to make sure that we're doing this, and it's point number one on your outline, is pray for evangelistic opportunities. You need to be praying for evangelistic opportunities. If you don't know what word evangelism means or evangelistic or this is completely going over your head, here's all you need to know. In the Greek, you have the word evangelion, okay? Uh, And evangelion is often translated into the New Testament as gospel, which just means good news. So so when we say evangelism, all we're saying is you need to go preach the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what that word evangelism means from the Greek evangelion. And so for us, we got to make sure uh, that we are praying for evangelistic opportunities. That is, our prayers should have an evangelistic flavor. You, ever, you taste something and you automatically know what flavor it is, right? You go to the ice cream shop, you get vanilla, you get chocolate, you get, uh, I love uh, Ray's, you get, uh, what is it, it's that uh, banana, banana pudding. You ever had that at Ray's, a green banana pudding? You eat it and you're like, I know exactly what this is. I love it, it's my favorite, okay? Uh, the same way in your prayers, uh, when somebody hears your prayers, or as a matter of fact, when God hears your prayers or when you say your prayers and you taste them, you're like, 
This tastes like evangelism, right? It tastes like I'm hoping and desiring that people would come to know Christ in my prayers and that my prayers show that and exude that because I want to see more people in the, bab- the baptism uh, tank uh, sharing how God has changed their life. And uh, it wasn't Matt and Sam Lowen. It wasn't Matt and Amanda Jameson. It was you, okay? And it was you being obedient to God uh, to show the fruitfulness and faithfulness of God in our, in our world and in our community through your faithfulness in sharing the gospel. That's what we got to do. We need to be praying for evangelistic opportunities. So much more here, but at least do this. Uh, and that prayer list that we made last week, just add another column on there. Just add another column. That's it. Add another column and put people I'm praying for to share the gospel with. Just add that. People that I'm praying for to share the gospel with. And then write specific individuals on there. Write down people who you know need to hear the gospel and you know need to respond to it and be praying for those opportunities to arrive in your life. Right? And we know something, and this is where we all kind of get hung up in the gospel, right? We know when we take a stand for the gospel, we aren't always met with the warmest welcomes. Anyone? Right? Well, the good news is Paul knew that too. As a matter of fact, Paul says that in the rest of verse 3. Look at verse 3, the rest of it. Paul wants... The church there in Colossae to pray for him for open doors to declare the mystery of of Christ on account of which I am in prison. If I had time, we'd talk about the mystery of Christ. That is that God, Christ had given Paul this responsibility to unveil uh, the mystery of the gospel, uh, which is good news for you and me. We don't have to unveil the mystery of the gospel. It's already been unveiled, but Paul had to. It was a privilege for him in his apostleship to take this gospel that was unknown and had to be revealed because it was a mystery. Even before, even the Old Testament, people were like, God's going to do something. He's going to bring a Messiah. He's going to bring an anointed one. They're going to do something, and he's going to make a way for, for everyone to come to know Christ. But no one knew what that was. And then when Christ and, and the apostles and Peter and them, they told that gospel to the, to the, the Jews and the, and the disciples did. And after Christ uh, died and was raised, he met uh, Paul in Damascus. And he said, now you are going to be the one I've appointed to go tell the rest of the world. And so that's what he means by unveiling. He's got to share something that is previously unknown. Good news for you and me is we don't have to share something that's previously unknown. Our job and our need is to declare the truth of the gospel of Christ. We don't have to do something that's previously unknown. We don't have to do something that's secretive. We know what the gospel is, and all we got to do is go share it. But there's a problem, and that Paul is in the middle of that problem, even as he wrote this letter. He's in prison. And as a matter of fact, he says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison, or I'm in prison because I'm sharing the gospel. I have been arrested multiple times, and I've been in prison multiple times because of one simple thing. I'm just out here sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul was in prison so much, uh, scholars and theologians actually have a section in the New Testament of Paul's letters called the prison epistles. Okay? He literally has a whole section of letters in the Bible where, where he, he wrote all these letters, and scholars say yeah, he was in prison and all those right there. Okay? That's how much he was persecuted for the way that he propagated the gospel because Christ said, go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. And we see that, that Paul didn't think that God had called him to an end of his ministry just because he was in prison. How many of you have been here, you were arrested for preaching the gospel, you would sit in your cell and you'd say, yeah, I guess that's God's sign to tell me he's done. Right? I guess that's it. I mean, look, he, he, I'm behind bars. I can't do anything from here. Right? But Paul literally had the opposite in mind when he says in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, jot that down, Philippians 1, 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's like, I'm in prison, and here's what it did. It served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all and the rest of, that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Did you hear that? You'd be writing home to your mom saying, terrible, come send me cookies, you know. Uh, But Paul's like writing down letters saying, man, you just see these people here responding to the gospel, how they're encouraged, how they're, I've just been out here and I've helped embolden people and I'm sharing the gospel. All my, all these guards know the gospel because I'm in this prison and they would not know the gospel if I weren't here. So look, glory be to God that I'm locked up here. Look at what God's doing. And so many of us need to, like Paul, point number two, boldly declare the gospel in every situation. Every one of them. Like even in prison, go, go declare the gospel. If you, specifically, if you've been put into prison because you were sharing the gospel. I mean, chalk that up to God's providence that he puts you in people who need the gospel. And that's exactly Paul's attitude towards this, even as he's writing to the churches while he's in prison. Uh, last weekend, I had the opportunity uh, to uh, preach the message at my wife's grandfather's memorial. Okay, Now, put yourself in my shoes for a moment, please. Okay, I'm up in front of a whole bunch of in-laws okay, and a whole bunch of friends. And I'm tasked with the responsibility to both comfort people from the loss of a family member and also my biblical responsibility to share the gospel with them that they are sinners and they need to turn and repent because when they get into the situation that Grandpa Gene got into and they didn't repent, they're going to go to hell. And I'm telling my in-laws this. Have you ever told your in-laws something similar to that? Okay? My, you see my problem very clear, don't you? I'm sitting here and I'm having to do something that I don't exactly feel too comfortable doing. And I had all the opportunity to soften the edges, to not bring, to not just completely understand or articulate the gospel in a way that really pierced and penetrated people, because there were people in there very far away from the Lord. But I took it in that situation, in every situation, as I ought to and as you ought to, to say, i got to preach the gospel, and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. But at the end of the day, uh, you need an opportunity to respond to the gospel, and God's given me a platform to do that, so here I am. And I'm going to preach the gospel. And I need to make sure that you also understand that it's all of our jobs to boldly declare the gospel in every situation, especially those ones where you know it's uncomfortable. You know it's uncomfortable because you know there are people there who need Jesus. And so if you're super comfortable preaching the gospel all the time, I would question whether or not you're preaching the gospel to non-Christians. Because it's uncomfortable for everyone when we understand that we have a problem with a holy God and we need to respond. And so it should be, in so many situations, not comfortable. Which is why I want to give you a couple things to keep in mind. The first thing is, when you're boldly declaring the gospel in every situation, that you expect some difficulties when you're faithfully sharing the gospel. You need to expect some difficulties. Don't go in thinking, this is nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. God's protecting me, a hedge of protection around me. Uh, okay, well, Paul was in prison multiple times. As a matter of fact, you can go to, I think, 2 Corinthians uh, where he talks about all the things that have happened to him since he has been tasked to go preach the gospel, shipwrecked three times, beaten by 50 people, left for dead, uh, you know, all while he was being commissioned to go share the gospel. So all I'm saying is we need to expect some difficulties when you're faithfully sharing the gospel. But I want you to also do this, and it's expect God to draw people to himself. I mean, that's what you need to expect God is going to draw people to himself. If you can't do that, if you're so much focused on the difficulties and not focused on what God's trying to do through those things, you miss the glory of the gospel. And it is the gospel spreads in the midst of persecution all over the world, all throughout history. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. That you and I get to propagate the gospel and we can expect God, even in the midst of our difficulties, to draw people to himself. All right, verse 4. Paul's prayer request ends with a very humble and important reminder for you and me. Verse 4. 
It says, I need to make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Again, when he says make it clear, in our English, it just means that we need to articulate it well. Well, actually, in the Greek, again, he's, he's saying, I need to unveil or uncover uh, this gospel, this truth that was never known before to the Gentiles. So, again, his job and role in this as an apostle was different than ours. So when he's saying, make it clear how I should unveil this because it's a secret that no one knows. Could you imagine you trying to, you have this information that no one else in the world knows, at least 99% of the world doesn't know, and you have to be able to uncover it in such a way where people can know it and respond to it appropriately. It's a big job. Okay? But again, the news for us is, although that was Paul's job, our job is to simply make it clear. We don't have to unveil it, uncover it, but we have to make it clear. And I love Paul, which he says, which is how I ought to speak. Yeah, like, like literally, I know I have to make it clear because there's no other way to do this. There is no other way to share the gospel other than making it clear for people to understand. That means that we're not going to have any half gospels, right? Uh, the only gospel worth sharing is the whole gospel, right? The, the whole gospel, the, the, the history or the, the background of God, uh, the good news, the bad news, all of it. Right? We have to be able to share the whole thing. And we're not going to share the gospel of good works, right? We're not going to share the prosperity gospel, not the progressive Christian gospel, not the political gospel. We can keep going. There's only one gospel that we're going to share, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to make it clear. We're going to make it plain. And that's our, that's our goal. That is our, our lot in life as a church is to be able to clearly articulate the gospel. We need to make it clear. And it's because we have a culture and, and churches that are permeated with a gospel that lacks any resemblance to biblical Christianity. And I'm not saying every church. There are great faithful churches in New Braunfels, all around. But there are so many churches as well that are permeated with a gospel that you can't find when you open up the Bible. And that's the reason when we open up the Bible, we're just going to say what it says. And if we're going to say what it says, and we know that there's a world permeating a gospel that doesn't say what the Bible says, we need to make it our goal to point number three, work to proclaim a biblical gospel. If you have gone to Compass Long, you understand that that's distinctive number four in our eight distinctives as a church, is we have to work to proclaim a biblical gospel. And why do I say work? I say work because you know good and well the moment that you look at people and say you're a sinner and you're separated from God and you need Jesus. It's going to take some work to keep that conviction and keep that boldness to be able to say that to people who say, I don't have any problems. That's your opinion, not mine. You see, the problem is you don't see this good news that is the gospel going out into society. And so when we take it upon our shoulders to have to do it, we're kind of the forerunners in our workplace. We're the forerunners in our community to make sure that we're sharing the gospel. And so we got to make sure we work to proclaim a biblical one, right? And you know this, right, if you've been here long enough. Like God is creator. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. If we don't know those things about God, we don't know our need for a Savior. Right? That he created everything. He's the boss. What he says goes. Just like when you create something, even your children, well, who's boss? You are, right? right? You're the boss. And you don't like it when your children disobey you, do you? Okay? Now we have this perfect, holy, just God who then has to give exact justice based on, a, on how people live their lives. Just like in the judicial system in America, you want people to pay for the punishment that is due their crime. Uh, God in his perfect justice has to make uh, perfect justice for all crimes ever committed from the beginning to the end. Right? And his crimes come in the substance of the Ten Commandments, at least, right, for you to look at and say, do you lie? Have you stole? Do you hate? Right? That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You may say you don't murder, but have you hated anyone because you committed murder in your heart? Right? This is Jesus saying, listen, you may think that you haven't sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but you indeed have. 
Right? And we need to understand those things before we understand that God is love. Right? The bad news is so important if we're going to understand the good news, because if we need to understand the significance of a loving God, we need to understand the significance of a just, holy God. And then the good news comes in very bright in our lives because we say, well, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. That's the bad news. But Jesus came, and he, was, he is God, and he was God in the flesh. And then he came, and he became our substitute, and he conquered sin and death for us. That's the good news, but it's the good news because of bad news. And then that's not it. We need to respond to that. Just like everyone in this tub did this morning, they had one time responded to the gospel from turning from their sins and trusting in Christ. That, my friends, is making sure that we're working to proclaim a biblical gospel. I'm not going to leave any of it out. It's all necessary, and it's all part of what it means to proclaim the gospel of Scripture. So for us, we need to make sure that we tell the truth about the bad news. Right? We need to understand that there are false gospels that mislead people into believing they are saved, and we need to help people see the biblical gospel. There is no worse gospel out there than the gospel of easy believism. And that is that if I just believe all the things that are true in Scripture, I'm saved. That is the most antithetical thing to the understanding of the gospel is that if we just, if we just assent mentally to the facts of the gospel, I'm saved. I can mentally assent to the facts of being at Harvard. It doesn't make me a part of Harvard. I can mentally assent to the facts that, that I can be married to my wife without actually being married to her. It doesn't make me married to her. Right? Mentally assenting to facts doesn't save a person. Responding to the facts saves a person. That is, then their need to turn from their sins and to trust in Christ. Really encompass our desire, and I hope your desire is to see lost people saved. And these testimonies are the first fruits of what is going to happen for years and years and years and years to come, if the Lord tarries, of the faithfulness and fruitfulness of a church who is serious about propagating the gospel message in this community. And so let us get out there and let us work to proclaim a biblical gospel. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the baptisms that we heard. We thank you for the so many more that we will hear in the future. And God, we look forward to seeing all you're going to do through our church, through the ministry of the saints here. Thank you for these baptisms. Thank you so much for uh, God saving us and giving us testimonies of uh, when you broke into our lives and brought us to turn from our sins and to trust in you. So God, with that, as we leave at this moment to go out into uh, the, the lobby, as we go out to fellowship, and as we go out into the community, God, let us be encouraged and convicted to go uh, be ambassadors of the gospel. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.